Good to see you. My name is Mike Sayers. I have uh, been away from preaching for some time, but I'm back from vacation and from some conference and fundraising travel, so glad to be with you. Um, Thank you very much. It's great to be here. It really is. We're getting more and more people up in the balcony. That's amazing. So just hope it holds. You know, being a pastor is kind of a strange occupation. I really do feel like a shepherd sometime. And one of the things that I, I look for are the wolves who might come in to wreak havoc upon the flock. And by that, I don't mean, obviously, literal wolves, although sometimes I've been known to warn young women about the men who are circling around them and vice versa. But more in a spiritual sense, I have had to keep watch. And sometimes I haven't been quick enough on the uptake to stop things from happening. Because there are wolves in sheep's clothing, as it were, that come in and destroy some of the flock, lead some people astray. We had a guy a few years ago who came in. He was a regular scum guy, kind of a traveler, long hair, lots of dreads, kind of cool looking. Um, He came in, he was a believer, professed Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, came in, wanted to be part of the fellowship, no problem. So he kind of hung around for quite some time. And pretty soon he got to know some people, and I would say that probably he became friends with what I would call some of the least mature people in the church spiritually, Uh, some of the weak ones, the weak lambs, the little tiny lambs, the ones who hadn't grown fully or matured yet in their faith. And unbeknownst to me, he began talking to them about the mission that he'd been given by God and how they should sell everything that they have and stop working where they were working and follow him on this mission. Either that or or keep working to support him because he was called by God to do these certain things. And as uh, a couple of us on staff saw this beginning to happen. We started talking to the people who had been with, with scum for a while. Some of these, what I would call weak, immature, young lambs. People who were seeking on their own, trying to figure out things in their lives, trying to figure out who God was and, and how they had a part in his great plan, people who were trying to rebuild their lives in Christ after some devastating happening. But after a while, our, our entreaties fell upon deaf ears. They had been beguiled by this young, cool, dreadlocked guy. And next thing I knew, three of our young lambs were following him and supporting him as they traveled to the southern part of the USA, the southwestern parts of the USA to do whatever mission work 
God had called their leader to undertake. It was painful to watch. It was painful to watch because from what I heard from the parents of one of these young people who followed him, it fell apart and didn't end well. I've never seen those folks again. I think I'm friends with one of the girls on Facebook who followed him, but that's about it. And as a pastor, I'm thinking, damn it. Did I miss it? Why didn't I see it earlier? Why couldn't I have stopped it? Who knows what this has done to their faith, if they have any left at all. I, it, it, it pained me. It is one of my failures as an elder guarding the flock. I tell you this story to let you know that the kinds of things we're going to read about in the second letter of John today are things that still happen. That young Christians are still led astray by charismatic leaders who profess Jesus Christ in a very peculiar fashion. Now, to give you some background for the second letter of John, It was the first century. We believe it is the Apostle John who wrote this letter warning against these kinds of false teachers. He calls himself the elder because by this time he's an old man. And that's about all that he calls himself. doesn't say a long list of things that could be his titles had he chosen, but simply calls himself the elder, and he writes to a small congregation under his care. Calls the congregation the chosen lady and her children. Very often, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the the church has been referred to as the bride of Christ. And in a time when Rome is persecuting Christians, You may want to use some code words when you're writing to people under your care. You don't want to name specifically the house church, who's heading up the house church, the members of the house church. You simply say the chosen lady and her children, and that way, if the letter falls into the wrong hands, perhaps that congregation is spared persecution or even possible death. But the first century church enjoyed remarkable growth, amazing growth. So much so that by the year 300 or so, the church was overtaking the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire became, at least in name, a Christian empire. The the emperor himself claimed Christ. So you have this small group of maybe 120 followers of Jesus after his resurrection, which then begins to grow and grow and grow and grow like a light that just turns into an inferno and consumes the entire Roman world. So much so that finally Rome can do nothing but acknowledge Christianity and Christ. It's during this period of rapid growth that uh, John writes. 
And one of the reasons that the church grew so much is because Christians were marked by a love the way no one had seen. They were hospitable. Christians were the kind of people who would invite you into their homes and give you a meal no matter who you were. They showed love like no other. They practiced hospitality. And why did they do that? Because every major Christian teacher from the Apostle Paul to the Apostle Peter to the writer of Hebrews to the Apostle John and others were echoing over and over again, don't forget to show hospitality. Romans twelve thirteen, the Apostle Paul says, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. So invite them in and give them your stuff. Share with them. Money, clothing, whatever they need, share. And invite them into your hearts and your home. Hebrews 13.2, do not forget to show hospitality to, I'm sorry, to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So here's the writer of Hebrews saying, look, it is so vitally important that you show hospitality because sometimes in times past, God has sent angels, messengers from heaven who are disguised as men and women, and you would be kicking out God's messengers if you didn't show hospitality. Angels, messengers, same word. First Peter 4.9, the apostle Peter, the head of the church, says this, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why would he say that? Because we're prone to grumble when we show hospitality. You know, they took the silverware, honey. They left the bathroom a mess. They didn't help clean up the kitchen when they left. In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, the Apostle Paul talks about elders and says... One of the ways you're going to know if a person is qualified to be an elder or a pastor is by the hospitality that that person shows. If they don't show hospitality, they're not qualified. Paul was able to depend upon Christians opening up their homes to him as he traveled around. He talks about that in the book of Philemon. Paul encouraged Christians in Galatians 6 to to be kind to traveling teachers and evangelists and to be hospitable to them when they brought the Word of God. And the Apostle John himself, in the next letter, 3 John, encourages people to provide lodging and financial support for traveling missionaries. So hospitality becomes the byword of the young Christian movement. Now, I lay this foundation for a reason. Because in this letter from the Apostle John himself, he's going to say, sometimes you don't show hospitality. It's the exception to the rule, but sometimes you don't. So when are we not supposed to be nice? Christians are nice, right? But when are you not supposed to be nice? Let's take a look. Second John, New International Version. That's Reese Roper's lyrics. Oh, back up. 
There we go. The Apostle John and not Reese Roper. Here we go. The elder. To the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Okay, we got one sentence, and he's already mentioned truth three times. Wait a minute. I thought the Apostle John was all about love. You know, love one another, love, 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 love. It's all John talks about is love. And here in the very first sentence of this letter, he's mentioned truth three times. That's interesting. Because sometimes truth and love are opposite poles on a line, aren't they? I mean, if you really want to be hard with somebody, if you want to be a little bit harsh, if you want to be black and white, then you talk about truth. Because, you know, if you want to talk about love, you're kind of soft and you're kind of gray because love is kind of an ooey-gooey feeling. So now he's talking about truth. What's going on here? Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. Okay, now he's taking those two things and putting them together in the same line. The apostle love, love, is talking about truth, and then he's going, oh yeah, by the way, you cannot separate truth and love. They're together. They're always tied together. There's like a bar, a metal bar between the two of them. They go everywhere together. Verse 4, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but an one we have heard from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Now, one would think that he's talking about teaching and truth as being the same thing. The teaching that he has historically brought and truth are the same things. And yet, he's also talking about love, and he hasn't let go of that side of the equation. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The, complete. the actual Greek says, uh, I'll visit to talk with you. I want to visit you and talk with you mouth to mouth. We say face to face in English means the same thing, except when it comes to Facebook. So 
What the Apostle John is saying here is there's something very, very special about communicating mouth to mouth. Something that can't just be done by letters. I don't care if you're sending letters by courier, by pigeon, or by the U.S. Postal Service. There's something better about being face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth, having these kind of conversations. Hence, the reason for the local church versus some kind of, you know, internet church. The children of your sister who was chosen by God send their greetings. All right, so here we got the Apostle John talking about this tension between truth and love. Now, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to leave that up there for now, but I'm going to read you the same passage from the message, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase called the message. So he's taking the same ideas, putting them in the vernacular, and he says what he hopes is about the same thing that the Apostle John is saying. So listen, sometimes this helps. My dear congregation, I, your pastor, love you in very truth. I'm not alone. Everyone who knows the truth has taken up permanent residence in us loves you. Everyone who knows the truth that has taken up permanent residence in us loves you. Let grace, mercy, and peace be with us in truth and love from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. I can't tell you how happy I am to learn that many members of your congregation are diligent in living out the truth exactly as commanded by the Father. But permit me to remind you, friends, that this is not a new commandment, but simply a repetition of our original and basic charter, that we love each other. Love means following his commandments, and his unifying commandment is that you conduct your lives in love. This is the first thing you heard. Nothing has changed. There are a lot of smooth-talking charlatans loose in the world who refuse to believe that Jesus Christ was truly human, a flesh-and-blood human being. Give them their true title, deceiver, antichrist. And be very careful around them so you don't lose out on what we've worked so diligently in together. I want you to get every reward you have coming to you. Anyone who gets so progressive in his thinking that he walks out on the teaching of Christ walks out on God. But whoever stays with the teaching stays faithful to both the Father and the Son. If anyone shows up who doesn't hold to this teaching, don't invite him in and give him the run of the place. That would just give him a platform to perpetuate his evil ways, making making you his partner. I have a lot more things to tell you, but I'd rather not use paper and ink. I hope to be there soon in person and have a heart-to-heart talk. That will be far more satisfying to both you and me. Everyone here in your sister congregation sends greetings. Now, John says that our enemies, the people that we need to watch out for, are talking about Jesus as opposed to not talking about Jesus. Let me rephrase that. Our enemies sound like Christians, not like non-Christians, not like pagans, not like Muslims, not like Buddhists, not like Hindus. Am I making myself clear? And these people who say that they're Christians are denying in some way 
the divinity or the humanity of Christ. The complete divinity or the complete humanity of Jesus Christ. This has been a tenant of the church from as early as we can remember. That Jesus came to be fully human, being fully divine. When you do the sign of the cross in the Orthodox Church, you have two fingers here in the palm of your hand, and those two fingers represent Jesus as fully God and fully man, and they're pressed into the palm of your hand where his nails could have gone. And then the three here are the Trinity, one, two, three. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. And so when you do the sign of the cross in the Orthodox Church, you affirm some of the mysteries, the basic mysteries of the faith. And what the Apostle John is saying is somehow there's people who come along, Christians, people from your own congregations who leave and begin traveling around and pulling people out, deceiving them into what are heresies away from the very basic things of the faith. It was C.S. Lewis who said, of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. And I think the Apostle John would agree. The people that you have to watch out for are Christians who say something about Jesus that is not true. Primary number one enemies that he's talking about. And John uses the same word that Jesus used. We were talking in Mark. Remember when Jesus said, watch out, watch out, watch out, be on your guard. Remember I talked about being a lifeguard for your whole entire Christian life. He uses the same word in the Greek in Second John that Mark used uh, in quoting Jesus when he said, watch out, be on your guard, look around. Don't sleep. Watch out that no one deceives you. The truth must be shown in love. You cannot separate these two things. John Stott said this, The fellowship of the local church is created by truth and exhibited in love. Each qualifies the other. Our love is not to be so blind as to ignore this view and the views and the conduct of others. Truth should make our love discriminating. The fellowship of the local church is created by truth and exhibited in love. This church was founded on the truth of Jesus Christ. We have never been wishy-washy about that. We would agree with the Apostle John that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by him. For John, truth is a person. For John, love is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Our love for others is not to undermine our loyalty to the truth. On the other hand, we must never champion the truth in a harsh or bitter spirit. Our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by the truth, and our truth grows hard if it is not softened by love, says John Stott. I couldn't agree more. 
Our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth, and our truth grows hard if it is not softened by love. You see, this is the problem. We live in a culture that says its highest goal is tolerance. The only thing this culture is intolerant of is intolerance. So if Christians come along and say, we don't think the highest value is tolerance, we think the highest values are truth and love, we got a problem. Because we say that you can be wrong. Because we hold the truth. And so John says there's an exception to Christian Christian hospitality. Because by showing hospitality to the wrong people, we can undermine the very fellowships of which we're a part. It's kind of like giving a room in your apartment or your house to a man who came in to rape your best friend's daughter. By giving those kinds of people a place to be, a place to stay, a place to eat, a place to teach, we are complicit in their deception and their destruction of people that we love in a spiritual way. Now, John is not talking about this. He's not talking about having non-believers in our homes. It's okay to show hospitality to strangers, especially those who don't believe in Christ. How else are they going to believe if we do not show them the love of God? They'll know we are Christians by the way that we love one another and the way that we love, period. So John is not talking about that. He is not talking about Excluding people who have different views than us, different political views, different theological views, how you do baptism, for example, how one comes to Christ, how to do communion. These things are incidental. And they don't really count in the kind of inhospitality that John is talking about. In Acts 18, as a matter of fact, there's two teachers in the early church, Aquila and Priscilla, this husband and wife team, and they find a young guy named Apollos who was preaching powerfully. But he's kind of off. He doesn't have all the information he needs to be a great preacher. And so instead of kicking him out, they invite him in, probably to their home. 
and teach him more fully about Jesus Christ. And we know from other letters in the New Testament that Apollos becomes this great traveling teacher and evangelist, largely because he was brought in, even though his theology was slightly messed up, And he was taught the proper theology. And then he goes out and he's this great person who talks to others about Christ. So, let's make this clear. Hospitality is the rule. Inhospitality is the exception. But it's those who deny the divinity and humanity of Jesus with the intention of teaching others to do the same. Those who look like they are Christians who preach a different gospel than the one that has been handed down to us. These are wolves in sheep's clothing. These are the ones we're supposed to be careful of. So it matters who preaches at the church. It matters who teaches at the church. It matters who leads small groups. It matters who leads retreats. It matters who leads the conferences. We can't be too careful about who we let in to the household of God and put up here as worthy of listening to. As your elder, it is my sovereign duty under God to make sure that you are not led astray in any way. It's one of the reasons we have those theology classes. If you haven't signed up for them, I urge you to do so. And this is why we have the theology classes. Because one time I was alone and the Holy Spirit started talking to me. And this is kind of what I felt God was saying to me, although I didn't hear it audibly. The question that God asked him was, Mike, I'm going to give you people for three or four years sometimes, and that's it. And then they're going to move on. Are they going to be better off when they leave than they were when they came? Are they going to be able to leave scum of the earth and be able to sniff out heresy when they leave? Or will they be subject to deception and led astray by these false teachers? And so... In response to that communication, we began the SCUM Study Center and the theology classes. We have three basic classes. We have the theology class, the doctrine class, which teaches the basic tenets of the Christian faith as they've been taught historically for a couple thousand years. We have a Bible class, an overview of the scriptures upon which our faith is based. And we have a spiritual disciplines class, which hopefully will facilitate your direct communication with the Lord, one-to-one, so you can hear his voice. That's just the beginning of the SCUM Study Center, but it's critical. If you haven't gone through those classes, by all means, sign up next time it's offered. And that's why it's offered. I do not want to be accused at the judgment day of participating in the evil of false teachers because I let them take center stage and I didn't do my job to protect the sheep from false teaching. So let me give you a quick template. I'm not going to go into these very deeply. But I'm just to tell you, how can you tell 
when there is false teaching about Jesus Christ or when it is true. The template that I want to give you consists of three things. The first is obviously Scripture. You need to know the Bible. You need to memorize passages in the Bible. To carry it in your heart, not just in your pocket or on your phone. It needs to be in here so that when you hear deception, the word inside of you rises up and counters that reaction that rejects, rejects that deception, punches it square in the face. We need to know the scriptures. If you're not part of a small group that studies the scriptures, please join one. If you're not involved in studying the Bible on a somewhat regular basis, start. If you haven't memorized scriptures, begin. I don't care if it's one sentence. Begin. The second part of how we can tell whether or not teaching is false is by submitting to spiritual authority. Spiritual authority. It's kind of all over the scriptures, really. Submit yourself to those that God has put in authority over you. Honor those that God has placed over you spiritually. I can tell you that this church has a marvelous council and a wonderful staff of people who adhere to the basic tenets, orthodox Christianity as it has been practiced and handed down for many, many years. If you're concerned about someone's teaching, whether it's on TV or the radio or the Internet or someone you've met on the street or the 16th Street Mall or the Pearl Street Mall, Feel free to talk to a council person or a staff person. Please, don't just try and figure it out on your own. That's what we're here for. We're here to guard and protect the flock, to feed and care for it. I can't tell you how many times in my life I have been saved by pastors. I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again very, very briefly. At one point in my life, I was engaged in an emotional affair. I confessed it to my pastor. He warned me in all humility and transparency and vulnerability, put the fear of God in me, and I'm telling you what, it stopped me from going down that path. I would have blown up my marriage, my family, and my future ministry. Wouldn't be here right now, perhaps, if I had gone down that path, the path that an emotional affair finally leads to. Praise God for pastors. We wouldn't have a morning church right now if it wasn't for my own personal pastor who said we need to start doing something like that the second year scum was in existence. And I thought to myself, you are crazy. We just got Sunday nights off the ground. I thought I was going to die every time five iron left town. Now I finally think it's going to be here, maybe. And you're saying we got to st- we should think about starting a morning church? You see what I'm saying? You cannot underestimate the importance of spiritual authority in your life. Certainly it's in my life. 
Not only do I meet with three other pastors on a weekly basis right here in Denver, but you guys have met Ned Berube and you've met Ray Nethery, guys who have spiritual authority over me and watch over my wife and I to make sure we're okay. I'm not telling you to do something I don't do. John qualified himself as an elder in this letter, did he not? Why would he do that? Deposit himself as a spiritual authority. He was the last living apostle, the last one who had walked with Jesus. Everybody else had died, or everybody else had been killed, actually. The third thing is church tradition, and Protestants hate this. But the Orthodox and the Catholic brothers and sisters hold firmly to church tradition is something you need to look at if you're worried about whether something is really from God or not. How historically has the church dealt with this? What do they figure out in the Council of Nicaea? What do they figure out in the Chalcedon Council? What do they figure out in the Council at Constantinople? Those are important things. Let me tell you two of them. The Trinity. Jesus is fully God and man. We figure that out by 300. You cannot disregard the historicity of Christianity when it comes to figuring out if it's true teaching or false teaching about Jesus. Do you know that in those first three church councils, they tackled the questions of Jehovah's Witnesses? Did you know that? It was a heresy called Arianism, which said that Jesus Christ was a created being and that he was not fully God that he was the son of God. That much is good. You know who brought this heresy? A Christian elder named Arius from Alexandria, Egypt. And the church had a hard time figuring this one out. At the second ecumenical council, they said, ah, he's okay. At the first one, they said he's not. Second one, they said he's okay. The third one, they came back and said, no, he's not okay again. Even they had a hard time figuring it out. That's how important church tradition is. The Church of Latter-day Saints believe that Jesus was once a spirit being, just like you, just like me, a disembodied soul floating out there someplace, waiting to be born. And they wouldn't affirm the classic trinity as we affirm the classic trinity. In the Mormon view of the trinity, Jesus is always a little bit behind God the Father. He's not quite as realized in his divinity as God the Father. Dealt with in the very early years of church history as not the truth. And so... How are we to deal with these folks who claim to be Christians and yet 
are not quite right. How do we how do we deal with these folks? There's kind of three ways that I think we should deal with people in general. The first one, let's suppose you meet a brother or sister. They come in to the church. They're from Iowa. They're from Ohio. They're from Boulder. And you're going, well, how do we deal with this person in the church? Well, if they're a bona fide brother and sister, if they're believers in Jesus Christ, acceptance and approval is the only way to go, right? Acceptance with approval. We accept you. We approve of you and your beliefs. No problem. You're welcome into our fellowship at Scum of the Earth Church. Not an issue. I don't care if your background was Catholic or Baptist or Episcopal or Methodist. I don't care. Acceptance with approval. You are welcome. But what if a person comes to scum, claiming to be a Christian, but some of the theology isn't quite right? They're not trying to teach anyone. They're not trying to lead anybody astray. They're bona fide seekers trying to grow in their faith and figure out what's going on. Well, I think our stance should be acceptance without approval. In other words, come on in. We love you. Eat with us. Be part of our small groups. Come on after you've been here for a while. And we know you be part of the worship team. It's okay. You don't have to have all your theological ducks in a row. It's okay. Acceptance without approval. You know, I have pastors in this town with whom I disagree on some key issues. Whether it be eternal security, once saved, always saved. Maybe it's we disagree on predestination versus free will. We might even disagree on some morality issues, sexuality issues, but they love Jesus. This is the byword, acceptance without approval. I don't need to sign off on every single thing that you believe. You can come to church. We can fellowship together. We can praise God together. It's okay. Acceptance without approval. But what if they've crossed the line? What if their views about Jesus are not historically correct, not scripturally correct? And not only are they not correct, but they're trying to teach and deceive others and take them along with them. What if they've heard from God and they want to go out from the church without any thought as to what the church, the spiritual authority here may have to say? Then I think the only stance is neither acceptance nor approval. Neither acceptance nor approval. Let me tell you something. 
had I known or figured out sooner what was going out with that young dreadlocked man who was going to take some of my weakest and most fragile lambs out and about, I would have kicked his ass out of church. I would not have allowed him to come back here. If someone comes here claiming that Jesus Christ did not really come in the flesh and did not die a death on a cross, but that somehow the Christ consciousness descended upon Jesus right after his birth or at his baptism and lifted right before he died, I would kick his ass out of church. Am I making myself clear? I think the rule of thumb is to practice hospitality is very, very rarely that we do what the Apostle John is suggesting in Second John. But there are times when our love must be informed by the truth. Our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by the truth. And our truth grows hard if it is not softened by love. Our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth. And our truth grows hard if it is not softened by love. Please pray with me. Lord God, Thank you for the second letter of the Apostle John. Lord, I pray that you put its truth in our, the hard drives in our minds. And when we need it the most, Lord, put it on the desktop right in front of our faces so that we here are never deceived by those false teachers who would seek to lead us astray the Antichrists. In Jesus' most holy name, amen.